everyone, and thanks for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified, Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, the host of this podcast, and I'm excited to have a wonderful conversation with an old friend of mine that goes back to my elementary school days, Thero Mitchell. Thero Mitchell is currently the Director of Client Services at Intermedia, a software-as-a-service company that helps over 124,000 businesses connect better with their portfolio of communications and collaboration solutions delivered through one highly reliable and secure platform. Intermedia's client services organization has been named JD Power Certified Assisted Technical Support, or CATS, plus TSIA rated outstanding six years in a row. He leads a technical services department of 30 professionals focused on helping customers and partners implement Intermedia's clouded solutions. The department has maintained average scores of customer satisfaction surveys of over 9.5 for the last five years. He holds an executive MBA from Pepperdine University and is PMP certified by the Project Management Institute and played running back for the University of Hawaii at Manila and, of course, in my high school growing up. Well, welcome, Thero. Glad to have you on the show. Hey, thank you, Keith. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, super excited to, to catch up and get to see where everyone's going. And for those that don't know Thero too well, he has a great football background and he led his boys into playing soccer and he's getting ready to travel overseas to France for one of his sons to play soccer over there and just super supportive and super excited to be a part of that journey of his son's soccer. And it's great to watch him in social media and all these different avenues, because as a, as a kid, I remember Thero and his family being one of the positive influences in my life and a life that had kind of few positive influences, to be honest. And Thero and his family were just always stalwart and being good people, doing the right things. And I always just loved, especially Thero's mom, support at the football games I mean, all throughout school. And she was very vocal. I remember, don't you hurt my baby? Don't you hurt my baby? Uh-huh. And I just, I loved it. And <laughs> I still have fond memories of the Mitchell family throughout my life. And I just can't be more excited to present and amplify your voice on this show. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that's hilarious. That cheer. It's funny to think back on it now when you're a kid. Sometimes, you know, as I used to be sometimes a little self-conscious about it because I used to even in, in high school football stadiums, like I could hear her voice. I could pick out my mom's voice <laughs> right, yelling yeah. ab- above everybody else. And now looking back on it, right, it's just so grateful and such a, a good example of unconditional support. She was always just super supportive, always made time to be there and support me. So yeah, it's funny. I remember those days too, fondly. Yeah, and I was excited to recently learn that Thero's dad was a Coast Guard veteran. I didn't know that growing up and I knew he was a good person, but I didn't know he was a Coast Guard veteran. And as I've chosen the Coast Guard as my vocation, I have an even stronger relationship and a view of your dad too. So that was exciting for me to see. And just, I remember reaching out to you like, I didn't know your dad was in the Coast Guard and just got excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Coast Guard retired as a, as a lieutenant and went from just an enlisted uh, member of the Coast Guard and to officer school in, in Virginia. And so, you know, in a time where that was not a very common thing for, for an African-American male to, to get that opportunity and be put in that position. So yeah, my dad was a career Coast Guard. He re- retired after 21 years and uh, always speaks highly of it. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. I might reach out to you for some more information because we really take an intentional effort to be more mindful about how we celebrate Black History Month. And I might send some stuff about your dad to our coordinators at our district, because that's a great example. Because as someone who went from enlisted in the Navy to officer in the Coast Guard, even in today's world, it's rare to jump from enlisted to the officer ranks, but especially 
in the days that your dad went through was extremely rare for an African-American, as you said. So just a phenomenal representation of who he is as a person. Yeah, that would be cool. We can talk about that some more. Awesome. Well, I think before we dive into more of those type of issues, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of your decisions to influence your children to to stray away from football, maybe look at other sports, because I know we've talked about the toll that football can take on your body. And I was thinking about it from a service leadership standpoint about how we use our own experiences to guide people on their path in a way that's authentically them. And so I was curious about some of the decisions you made, kind of guide your son and how you let him allow that path to be his and not your path. Yeah. You know, it's interesting and it was somewhat conflicted for for my wife and I. The game of football gave me a number of different opportunities, not just the opportunity to go to college, right, and to play college football and get my education, but also at the University of Hawaii when I was there was where I met my wife. Uh, my eventual wife. And even in my professional career, opportunities early in my professional career became available because of just recommendations and, re- and relationships that kind of born out of my time at the University of Hawaii. So I did not initially want to discourage my kids from playing football, right? But I was aware of kind of the toll it does take on you physically. And I did know though that sports were going to be a part of their lives just because of the type of family we are, you know, me playing sports, tons of sports when we were young, right? It was it was everything, basketball, baseball, like the season changed, we changed sports. And it was similar for my wife. My wife played a lot of soccer, played softball growing up, right? So as a family, part of our family culture is just being active and playing sports. But, you know, as my wife and I kind of talked about it, we realized that, you know, I would really prefer if they, there's just a lot of other sports that you could play that are easier on your body than football. So we established a a family rule for the boys that they could play any other sports that they wanted. And, but if they wanted to play tackle football, they had to wait until they were 13. And my logic was that was essentially that they would be able to play for a year prior to going into high school, if they wanted to play in high school. What we did while we established that rule was from as soon as they could kick a ball Till 13, I just tried to expose them to every sport that they could to try to get their interest up in those sports, right? And see what they were interested in, right? And so let the boys play soccer, but also baseball, tried lacrosse, uh, tried rugby, and played flag football. And I think them growing up and hearing stories about me playing football and being successful felt like football was kind of part of them too. But particularly for my older son, as he got into being about 11, 12, he began to have success and get opportunities to play higher levels of soccer. And then that was something that I really wanted to support. At the same time, I supported him in trying to, if he, you know, cause at that time it, when he was probably still 12, he thought that he wanted to try tackle football, but at the same time, he was getting opportunities to play like advanced levels of, of soccer, was already playing club soccer, but then potentially was going to have opportunities to play for like state level teams. And so he started to, at that point, enjoy training. Something clicked for him where he began to enjoy being successful. And then between like enjoying having success on the field led to him enjoying training. And then he wanted to do extra training. And then that kind of started this virtuous cycle of like, 
he'd train more, which would lead to more success on the field, which would lead to his developing a deeper love of the game. And as that continued, kind of took him in a place to where between 12 and 13, and he got to a point where he was going to make the decision and he realized, you know, hey, I was able to get to a point for his age group where he was able to earn a spot to participate in the Olympic Development Program tournament for our state. So he was basically one of 18 boys for the state to be able to go and represent the state at a tournament at his age group against all the other states in the Western region. And, you know, he kind of realized, he's like, well, you know, if you take a, a year off to play football, like right now you're conceptually maybe one of the top, you know, 20 kids maybe in, in the state, but like, like all those other kids are going to keep training, right? And they're going to keep playing soccer, right? And if you take a year off to play football, well, that's going to set me back a year. That was his perception. It might set me back a year. I don't really know if it would have or, or not, but it, once he realized, he's like, oh, well, that's just, it was more like, football was something that he imagined or was something he envisioned himself doing. But what he really enjoyed doing like in the present actually was playing soccer. It's been ever since then, it's just kind of taken off for him. He's developed a lot of friendships and been able to get exposed to a lot of opportunities. Most recently now, as you mentioned, we're going to be taking him back. We have a flight this afternoon to take him back to like essentially a boarding school, a residency academy in the Geneva area, greater Geneva area uh, in France, where he's now attending training and going to school. And that's so exciting. First of all, congratulations to him. That's a great opportunity. And as they all call it football here in in Latin America, it's a lot bigger other places in the world. It's getting bigger in the U.S. And I think we'll see that trend continue to grow in the U.S. as more and more younger people from the rising generations play soccer. They tend to watch the sports they play. And so I think we're going to see viewership models change, but just super excited for him. And I wanted to make sure you give him my congratulations on these great opportunities. But a couple of things you said there that would just really stand out to me is how you referred to this training cycle and success cycle as a virtuous cycle. I just love the way you said that. And just thinking about that, it started with him realizing he was somewhat successful. And I think if we take that model, we look at all of our organizations, how our families, how are we influence people in any of our realms, we have to show them their successes first. They have to start feeling like they have something to contribute, right? And then that leads to wanting to develop it a little bit further. And then you start the training and then that starts that virtuous cycle that leads to more success and rewards. And then you can celebrate those successes. And too often, I think we have a tendency to point out where people are flawed or where they didn't rise up. And sometimes that can detract from that virtuous cycle a little too much. And so we have to do a better job of celebrating those successes and then pointing them in the right direction to, to get that cycle spinning of their own accord. Yeah, you do. It's challenging. I was doing some research and reading, and I believe the appropriate ratio they say for youth sports coaching is three to one, three positive interactions for every one constructive criticism or critique, right? And I try to think about myself in the, in the workplace, right? It's like youth sports is just really kind of a microcosm of the larger world, right? And the teams that we work in, the people that we interact with. And that was really interesting to me because it challenged me to think about, man, do I have that kind of ratio with my direct reports that I work with my team, right? Like what would it look like if I was able to have that like a three to one ratio? And, and so, yeah, I think you're right. Catching people doing the right things and kind of highlighting it for them is, is critical and challenging. I agree. And I, I love that putting a number to it because how often do we sit there and 
really tally our positives and our negatives, but maybe there's some value in that and sitting down and kind of taking a step back and evaluating the way we approach people. And we might have to do it multiple times because we might approach people different. Um, We might already have negative perceptions of one person or positive perceptions of another. So we might overinflate one ratio and undervalue a different ratio, depending on how we approach people. And so it might be time to kind of sit down and ground ourselves and look at how we treat everybody. And also that'll help us center ourselves a little bit more on equity in the workplace and how we spread our energy out in a more equitable manner to all of our people. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I think awareness about it, I think that you just highlighted, right? Awareness about it and being aware of that it's an issue and that you may have your own biases is an important place to start, right? Because you can't really, you can't do anything about it unless you acknowledge that it exists, right? It's a start. Oh, ab- absolutely. And in the last episode with the Springer, Scott said something about building bridges that I'd never thought about when we were talking about how we can all be better bridge builders between people, between cultures, between all sorts of things. And he said, you have to start with identifying the gap. You have to know what the gap you're trying to bridge. And I was like, oh, that's so important. And if we don't know our own biases, we don't know where those gaps are. And those things all blend together so much. The other thing that you mentioned was how your son started to realize that if he took a year off, he might not develop to the same level of where other people are. And I think there's some value in that thought, even in a workplace to think about where we spend our energy and where we dedicate our time. And so if we have a project or if we have these goals, if we're focused on them in the right manner, we look at all these other influences and we say, kind of like football to your son in soccer, is this going to take away from my ability to meet that goal to the highest level? And I think if we approach things from that thought process, so, you know, will I be competing at the best level if I take on all these other projects right now? You know, maybe not, maybe they'll help me get that first project better. But I think looking at it from what are these other things going to influence towards my goal is a great opportunity to do some even greater self-assessment and where we're propelling ourselves towards. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think something that you just mentioned, touched on, really resonated with me too, how you spend your attention and, and prioritization in, in your time, right? Like it's just a very finite resource. And even for me, for why that touched me right away was actually my my word for the year is uh, is invest. And it's not necessarily about like financial resources, but awareness about where am I investing my attention and my time, right? And being deliberate about it. There's just so much out here in in the world these days, right? Where so many different directions that your attention can be taken. Just working on in 2022, being very deliberate about how I invest my time and attention. Yeah, I think about time a lot. And it was interesting. I just listened to a podcast yesterday from Blair Hodges' Fireside. I really love him because he takes on some very tough issues and he really gets down into some things to get you really thinking about some issues. And his guest said that he came across an article that said, in the days of Jesus, he walked three miles an hour. And he said, Jesus is love. So love has a speed and it's three miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So love is slow. And I was like, whoa, I was like, this is earth shattering stuff, you know? And I think as we look at the ways we invest ourselves in the world today, everything's moving a hundred miles an hour, so fast flying by. Like we talked about earlier, you have access to all these different resources. What do you choose? Um, What do you look at? Where do you click? What are these things that are grabbing your attention? And so if we're not mindful, you know, we can blow right by these things that are super important. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Love is slow. 
Yeah. Love is slow. And I was like, Whoa, I was like, you know, what a way to like kind of play on words and, and facts and, and move them in the right direction. I just thought that was super powerful. And, you know, oftentimes I would argue that in today's, the modern world for the most part, and you, in some developing countries, this might not be the same, but in the United States, in the Western world, everyone has an excess of is time compared to our predecessors and our ancestors, because we don't have to go out and farm. We don't have to plant crops. We don't have to make our own clothes, make our own soap. So in, in comparison, we have an excess of time. We are rich in time, but what do we do with that time? Where are we spending it? And so how are we using these riches to better the world or better ourselves? Better and that's ourselves. the real, yeah, well, that's the real question, right? So we can think of ourselves as poor, I would argue if you start to look at your time in comparison of where you spend it, or if it's just on entertainment, just like my wallet, right? Am I blowing that time or am I intentionally spending it on things that invest in different things? Yep. That will help me or my community or my family down the line, right? But that's that's how I'd like to be spending the, the time and attention, right? And so, uh, yeah, just try to be deliberate about it. It is a challenge, right? It's a, It is a constant challenge. Absolutely is. And I think it's a good opportunity to share this quote from Dr. Kirsch and Dr. Peters from the University of Wisconsin and Washington State Universities, respectively, where they talk about servant leadership. They say the basis of servant leadership theory is for leaders to act as servants to their followers or team. Within this framework, effective leaders are humble yet courageous. They emphasize follower empowerment and development, exhibit strong ethical and moral behavior, and put the greater good above their own self-interest. And I just love that thought. And so as we talk about this concept of time, how can we better use our time to emphasize empowerment, to put others' self-interest above our own and the greater good? What do you think about that, Thiro? Yeah, I think just with sticking with that theme of like investing time, it's in, I find in how I'm using that in the workplace is investing time in reassessing people's motivations, right? Understanding what's going on with people and knowing coworkers and colleagues as people. And then once I understand them as people, then it gives me a better understanding of what their motivations are, right? Not everybody's motivation is maybe compensation. For some people, it's financial resources enough to support family, to spend time with family, or it's uh, recognition or you know a number of different things, right? It's difficult to know that without knowing the person. So yeah, that investing that time to know people and know their motivations and then understanding their motivations helps me in putting them into positions where they're going to be successful and also finding the opportunities where they're going to be highest, best use for, for things that I need to get accomplished. I just love that thought and love how you really talk about how the connection to knowing people is so important to how you invest in them. And it's easy to think that we have this grand vision for the world, especially as a leader, as you try to move your organization in one direction, but you can get caught up in that direction and start to let people fall by the wayside because you didn't get to know them well enough. So I think there's a balance there that needs to be struck between moving the organization forward and also helping bring the people along within the organization. And Regan Howe talked about the power of culture in doing that. If we can emphasize our, our organizational culture, that can sometimes do it. And one of the things that I've really been thinking about a lot this year as we continue to grow and learn from this global pandemic is how we can look at the things like mental health and disabilities and other challenges that people face and how we can make sure that these people aren't coming along because of a life event, 
or they aren't coming along because of a culture mismatch or an organizational mismatch, because sometimes those things can be clouded and look similar. But if it's a life event, we have an opportunity to help somebody reintegrate into the fold and grow. And it's important to know the people, as you said, to discern between those differences. Yeah, that's a challenge, right? And everybody has, even outside of the pandemic, right? Life happens to everybody. Everyone has life events at, at some point. I'm super fortunate to have a, a kind of another good example in my life that helps me with like the appropriate frame of reference for that. My wife is a, the senior director of human resources for a, a real estate investment firm. And her policy on interaction with staff and when she's coaching managers and interacting with members of their teams is to start with care. If you don't look at other people as just resources, right? They're, they're other people, right? And if you, if you start with care, it's much more likely that you're going to get like authentic feedback on what's going on and give you an opportunity, like you said, to help people, to help bring them along or help create a situation where they have the space to get out of and through whatever that challenges with life. And then hopefully like having a culture in a, in a workplace where you, where you do that, then makes people want to give their best, right? If you're creating that type of environment, those are the types of environments that I enjoy being in and want to be in, right? Where other, I feel like pe other people genuinely care. Now, I love that. Start with care. And what, yeah, that is a great resource that you have your wife to kind of help you in your own leadership realm as well. And those are the, the great things about relationships in general, not just marriages where marriage is a strong example of it, but all these relationships we build, we can learn from each other and we can grow from each other's strengths and these different things that people bring to the table. And I love the word diversity on so many levels, because if we don't have diversity, we think a singular way. We're very linear and we don't grow as much, but when we allow ourselves to embrace the gift of diversity, we allow ourselves to see things in totally new ways and different ways. And one of the things we were talking about earlier is how the world of education is on the cusp of change and it needs to change because universities are pricing themselves out of education um, we're growing in this world where social justice and social equity are very, very important to people, and they should be. But how do we really mold education and these opportunities in a way that allows people to progress and kind of look, looking at all the different levels of energy we have to spend? How do we take our energy and disperse it in an equitable manner? You know, those are tough things to figure out, but very important are. It is challenging. And this is in, you know, education is a topic that I have a lot of interest in and is close to, to my heart. My mom, as you're aware, right, lifelong educator, started in the classroom as a teacher, moved into to being a principal, and, and even now still works for the, the office of, of the superintendent as a coach for struggling and new principals and administrators here in Washington State. And yeah, it's very interesting to see what's going to happen since I've got, you know, teenage kids now, it's interesting to see kind of how perspectives on education are changing. And uh, I think we have, it's one place where kind of commercial or marketplace is maybe a little bit behind. And I think it's starting to catch up, right? But it, it used to be standard where you see a minimum requirements bachelor's degree, right? For something that like a bachelor's degree isn't, isn't needed for that, right? That's not what you really want. What you really want is people to provide you some way to demonstrate their commitment and ability to meet certain bars and execute certain tasks over a period of time, right? And so there are definitely other ways we can get that, but I think we've got to be more creative about how we find that in, in changing those expectations. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that changes over the next few years. 
Yeah. And that's a great way to put it too. And understanding the why you're asking for certain things will help drive better questions and better hiring practice. And too often we've just come up with criteria that's, you know, universally accepted throughout different organizations or different career fields. And so that's just what's accepted and we move on with it, but we don't stop to ask, why do I ask for that? Or what's the why to drive that? And what is my cultural fit? Because more important than a degree oftentimes is a cultural fit for a good hire to an organization. And too often we focus so little on cultural fit or what that person wants to do and where their goals will take them and how that aligns with our organization. We focus on, like you said, an easy way to manage whether they can show commitment or not, which is a degree which may or may not actually relate to true commitment in a lot of experiences. In experiences, yeah, or ability, right? Yeah. Yep. I love this conversation about education and different things. And we talked a lot about it with sports and kind of moving towards different sports about how we reserve the right to grow and learn in all things. And too often we get stuck in a mindset we talked about a little bit with football. Like we just were expected to play hurt. We, you didn't talk about your injuries. You just pushed forward. You sucked it up. You took on more pain and you dealt with it later down the road. If you could, until you couldn't physically move anymore. Sometimes that was the expectation in a lot of our sports experiences and people paid a price for it. And we look at it, even in education, we, we get caught in these trends of things that are acceptable and and they've worked to some degree. And, you know, there's danger in changing for the sake of change but there's also danger in the status quo. And we look at even race relations as we come into celebrating Martin Luther King Day and how we've made some progress. There's no doubt about it. And anybody who says we haven't um, would be blind, but the danger in being accepting of that progress is that that becomes the status quo and we forget to grow to where we can intentionally become. And I have some words from Dr. King. And before I read these words, I'll just say that Coast Guard's practice for Martin Luther King Day is not to treat it as a day off, but we encourage our members to take that day off and give back to their community in some form or fashion to truly honor Dr. King. And I just love his words here speaking. He said, 100 years later, the colored American lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the colored American is still languishing in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. So we have come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our great republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring the sacred obligation, America has given its colored people a bad check, a check that has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the Bank of Justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we have come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and security and the security of justice. I love those words. I love the idea and the value that he put on the ideas of America and that although we hadn't lived up to those ideas for many years and we could talk about the founding fathers and how well they lived up to those ideas, The important thing for us to focus on, in my opinion, is those ideas 
surpassed their ability. And oftentimes our, our ideas surpass our ability. And so the question is, is how do we raise our ability to put more investment, as you said, into the bank of justice, into the bank of opportunity, into the bank of equity, into the bank of love, into the bank of brotherhood and sisterhood? And how do we make that check broader for more people? So at a small level or at a, at a micro level, in my experiences, I found that you're always able to perform beyond current capabilities when there's leadership and support that have an expectation, right? And sometimes their expectation or that is set for you. You know, I had a, an example in my home of having, I was fortunate to have my mom set really high expectations for me and belief in what I was capable of beyond what I believed that I was potentially capable of. And I think that those, some of those words of the founding fathers, right, maybe even unintentionally set a very high expectation for us all and acknowledging that that's the expectation, right? And I think having a culture where we may not agree on how to get there, but at least reaching agreement on what those things mean, right? Liberty, opportunity, and justice, right? having just a, a shared culture and definition of that will allow us to then acknowledge where we're falling short, right? Like where you talked about before, like where are those gaps and then start to build the bridges to cross those gaps. It feels like that there's not reasonable dialogue about it, right? It kind of comes, I mean, a lot of this comes full circle with some of the topics that we've discussed, right? It's about communicating with people and understanding others as human beings with their own fears and motivations and accepting that, but realizing that as part of a, a larger community, right, it's in our best interest to all find the opportunities where we can, like, it's really better for us all to all be successful. And instead of the fear of loss of opportunity, it should be excitement about the prospect of greater opportunity for everyone, right? Larger pieces of a larger pie for everyone. If we can create an environment where everybody is successful. So I think it's really that. I think it's acknowledging that the expectation is high. Communicating in a reasonable way that allows us to all have definition about where those bars are, where the bar is, and what the gaps are between where we are and the bar is. And then having dialogue about how we get there. And it's okay to have differences in opinions on how we get there. But I think sometimes right now we're, there's not even agreement that we're not there, right? And I think the kind of the point that that you started this out with is, you know, there has been progress, right? And, and leaders like Martin Luther King were instrumental in making the progress that we had thus far, but it's not, as we've seen kind of over the last two years, right? There was for a long time, a culture of trying to, you know, for African-Americans, like trying to make it work with the, like just make it work in the system with the advances that we had, had gotten in the civil rights movements. And there's a new generation of people that are just saying, hey, I've seen my parents or my uncles and aunts try to just operate within the current system. And that's not enough. Like there's still a ways to go and they're not going to accept that we've improved things because there's still room for greater improvement. Yeah. Thanks for those wonderful words. And as you were closing, it reminded me of in so many ways we accepted playing injured uh, in life, in sports. 
We just accepted that it was okay to play injured, to play a person down, not with our full strength. I sat in a a meeting at LSU when I was there for graduate school. And one of the lawyers of the NAACP that walked with Dr. King and part of the civil rights movement, he said, one of the great tragedies of racism, of, of all these things that lead to hate and inequity is that we robbed the world. We robbed the world of potential. We robbed the world of these people that could have cured a disease. We robbed the world of these people that could have brought people together. We robbed the world of people that could have solved these educational challenges that we have today. We accepted playing injured and robbed the world of potential. And I don't think that's okay. I think we have to look to be better and better. I think we have to, as Dr. King said, believe the creed that the founding fathers come up with and find a way to make it a reality. He later said, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And I'll add women to that as well, because I'm sure that Dr. King meant all men and women are created equal. And that's my challenge for this week for everyone is to think about what is your dream and how does it relate to the broader world? Does your dream As Thero mentioned earlier, does it only celebrate your successes and worry about other people taking opportunity from you? Or does your dream also propel others and acknowledge and celebrate their successes as well? Because as we started this whole conversation out with, in order to to start that virtue cycle, we have to celebrate other successes. We have to encourage them on their dream. So if our dreams are only singular, I invite you to re- visit your dream and look at ways you can make them broader and more equitable. All right, Thero, any final thoughts before we end today? Just thank you again for having me, Keith. This has been a very interesting conversation for me and I hope you enjoyed the the Martin Luther King day of service that you observe, right? And definitely going to take that challenge to heart for myself and think on that. That's a, a great challenge for the week. Well, thanks so much for being here, Thero. I love you like a brother. You've been a great role model and example in my life. And I love watching you grow. And I'm just so glad that I had an opportunity to amplify your voice and to celebrate some of your successes because the way I see it, the world needs more people like Thero Mitchell. Uh, Thank you, man. That's very kind. That's very kind. Love you too, Keith. Thank you, man. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us on another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership and have a wonderful day.